0: Well, I'm very excited about this episode. Kevin Thompson is a breath of fresh air in this small, filled financial industry, which at times can be full of confusion and misdirection. He's coming on the show to clear the air for you, a former Major League Baseball player for the New York Yankees and the Oakland Athletics, now the owner and CEO of 9I Capital Group. This man is full of passion and speaks from a place of experience and not just theory. You can find him on LinkedIn and on YouTube sharing his expertise. In this episode, we are going to touch on his story, which outlines in his book, MLB to CFP, break down how even millionaires can fall victim to financial schemes and how you can protect yourself. And we'll wrap up this episode discussing the disparities in financial literacy and how to get you off the hamster wheel of debt and get on the fast track to wealth. So stay tuned, all this and more next, coming up on Financial Advisors Say the Darnedest Things. Maybe Ridgeway, the host of financial advisors, say the darndest things in my mom's favorite Christian financial advisor. On this show, we speak to the brightest minds in the financial industry and take the most complex financial topics and make them easy to understand. So you as an investor can make a financial decision that is right for you and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to the show, Mr. Kevin Thompson. How are you doing, Kevin?
1: Man, I am doing fantastic. Thank you for allowing me to be on your show, my friend. It's an honor and a privilege.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you as well. One thing that motivated me to reach out to you was passion. Your words are not empty. They actually come from somewhere special. And uh, we're going to dive into that during the episode. But I want to start off this interview with this question. Where does this passion come from?
1: Well, I don't know where it comes from, but I know why on where it, on that that perspective. So being from our community, you know that, that I don't I don't know what they're calling us these days. I don't know if we're <laughs> black. Sometimes I'm not we're African American. I I don't know. Right. I, I, all I know is you know coming from our community, um, we have been disenfranchised for for a long time. Whether it be the Fair Housing Act, whether it be housing discrimination, all the different things that our, our families and our parents have gone through, and you've seen it constantly uh, today. In regards to the banking system, seeing banks that were during COVID that were um, denying loans on African Americans at a higher rate, those things are are disheartening to me, and it further shows a divide that goes on within uh, within the the American society. But but that's where my passion lies right now just just financial education in regards to getting people. That are disenfranchised a bit to, to get in a little a little bit more knowledge in the, in the financial arena how to use wealth how to gain wealth how to how to just attain something that seems so unattainable in our community and secondly is because well you know my i've been a victim of this industry right i i was a victim of a ponzi scheme while i was playing baseball i just i i couldn't allow myself to to be in a situation where you know i was making pretty good money but i i was trusting someone else which again Trust in itself is never wrong. Yeah. I mean, right. I my, my clients trust me, and that's great. But trust without education is an entirely different thing. So when we have conversations with our clients, they have a full trust in me, but I also want to educate them on why they are trusting me and they have an understanding on what's going on with their money. So that's what the passion lies, man. I, I think that there's a there's a huge divide in our in our economy, in our in our in our country, but ultimately I, I think we're getting we're 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 going in the right direction, like Dr. King would say,
0: right? So I guess maybe this disparity, this this education or the lack of education in the process, you know, where's this stemming from? You know, and where does the accountability lie? Right? Does it lie on the abuser or mm-hmm. does it lie on the victim? And I don't want to get into victim yeah. blaming or victim yeah. shaming or anything else like that, but. But that, that question does arise, right? So our level of competency when we are engaged in these type of financial conversations, how much responsibility do we have to go out and seek the financial information that we need before we proceed with financial transactions?
1: You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But ultimately, the horse has four legs and the horse does what the horse is going to do. You have to basically train people and change the ideology. Like I, I, I was watching this movie this weekend with my wife, and and it was just a, it, like some of the things that are put into our community, right? whether it be the music, and I know we can get into that, and all the different things that we call culture, it's it's you can see it as, well, who says that's our culture? Who said that we have to hair wear our hair this way? who's who said who's saying these things? I didn't say that. I, I didn't go in and vote and say, hey, uh, Kevin, you have to wear your hair in a shortcut or whatever that looks like because this is the. So, where is it coming from? Exactly. We all know where it's coming from, which is not, which is okay. But the idea is we have to focus on the right things in our community, raising awareness, financial awareness, community involvement, getting people back together to where, you know, back in the days, I'm not sure how old you are, AV, but back in the days when I was outside, I mean, the whole neighborhood was watching you, you know, right. like everybody was watching everybody's kids. And But nowadays, neighbors barely talk to each other. So it's all about getting back to community, getting back to self and, 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 and allowing the community to build, to build a bigger, uh, I guess, bigger engine versus having the government come in and try to build it for us.
0: I'm not a firm believer in government involvement in, in mm-hmm. a lot of different um, aspects, but only because there's so much access to great information that we have and in society as well right because we have the internet we have all those different things now there are some disparities as far as access to the internet um, which i think even the president biden and uh, vice president kamala harris actually came down to sunset louisiana to address this problem because we do have individuals who don't have access to high speed internet so if everything's on the internet and you can't get on you're going to be left behind the right the the wealth gap is actually going to um expand so Mm -hmm. you know i I love these points that you're making as far as getting the community involved and and making sure that we take a step back and say okay where are we going what are some of the resources that we have and how do we educate our own so we can kind of build our own societies our own communities and actually strengthen from within Um, i'll have a conversation earlier uh, with jennifer mcdonald and we Mm -hmm. talked about building the village around athletes Right, mm-hmm. so we can't just talk about the athlete and says, okay, well, after three to five years, they usually go broke after professional sports. We have to think about the village that surrounds them. How many households are they supporting? You know, sometimes they're supporting five and six different households. Mm-hmm. Um, the education level of those people that they're supporting—like, mm-hmm. are they teaching them money management, or are they just giving them cash and then letting them perpetuate the same type of living? that got them in the circumstances in the first place. So um, I want to kind of talk about your, your book, MLB mm-hmm. to CFP. Tell us a little bit more about the motivation of writing that book and, and why now?
1: Most of you know that in 2006, 2007, I was playing with the Yankees and the Oakland A's. I played about 40 or 50 games between those two years. And during that time, we were I was making pretty good money. So I got, I, I met an advisor, which was through the, Alec, through the Stanford company group. And then a year or two later, when I was with the Pittsburgh Pirates, lo and behold, 2008, 2009 hits. And I see my the, the owner of the company being ushered out of the, uh, this building with handcuffs on. I'm like, oh, what is this? So you see that. you want to, You say, you know what? That's never going to happen to me again. My money was frozen for about, I can't even tell you exactly how long the money was frozen for, but it was frozen enough for me to be upset about it. And I finally got my money back probably six, eight months later. Uh, I I decided to go while I was injured with the pirates go get my degree in finance. I fell in love with it. Then Uh, I started, when I got my money back, I started managing my own money. I fell in love with the markets. I fell in love with options, stocks, all the other stuff. I said, I got to learn more. And then I took that same energy that I was playing baseball with and I put it into finance. And I haven't looked back ever. haven't looked back ever since, you know, my injury, I was 28. And when you're baseball, you're an athlete, 28 years old, you're ancient, right? You're ancient. You're an old guy. So with that being said, um, the books is mainly about my my stories in the MLB, whether it be with the Yankees, talking about Derek Jeter, how are spending time with each other, having a good time there, talking about uh, the transition from Major League Baseball to earning, uh, to going into finance to earning my CFP, and uh, I think it's 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 a good story because I, I go into my background, go into my family a little bit, and just kind of just just kind of give you a, an idea of you know not all athletes go broke. It's just there's some situations where <laughs> there's a lot of malfeasance that may happen, or there's just some situations where it's just ultimately bad luck. It's not like they were just spending money, but uh, things like that happen. Uh, but I think that those 30 for 30 is that people say, Oh, all these athletes going broke the reality is not every athlete in the world is going broke. There's, there's a small contingent of them that are probably going broke and bad money management, but there's a larger contingent that have, that, that are doing very, very well.
0: Yeah. I think that's very good to point out because I think that would be kind of um insensitive people didn't take their own industry into account right somebody took yeah. your industry and says hey look at engineers you know all these people are in- unemployed or you know all these people exactly. are construction workers they're in debt or you know cuz america you know as a whole
1: but but you a, you know you, you know the reason why is it because they got to get the eyeballs so they got to right. say all these athletes are doing this or all these engineers okay. are doing this but they, they don't want to talk about all the engineers are doing great or all the yeah. athletes right. are doing we talk about this subset that, that gets people's eyeballs in the 30 for 30. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and I think, too, just for our listeners sake, um, Reuters actually did a, a newspaper article on Allen Stanford Ponzi yeah. scheme. And they're they're recovering, I think, tops almost one billion dollars at the time of the writing back in yes. September of 2021. But they actually state that this Ponzi scheme was the largest by dollar amount other than Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Uh, Stanford 71 is serving a 110 year prison sentence following his 2012 conviction. For running a $7.2 mm. $7. billion Ponzi scheme affecting approximately 18,000 former investors, including our guest here today. Uh, prosecutor mm. says Stanford sold fraudulent high yielding certificates of deposit through his Antigua based Stanford International Bank and used investor money to make risky investments and fund a lavish lifestyle. And for those who know us, that is one darn good financial topic, but certificates of deposits, what a lot of our culture knows, right? Because of mm. savings. Can we talk about maybe some of the red flags there um, as far as Alan is concerned? Were there any red flags that you saw are now looking back? Hindsight obviously is 2020 that you're like, you know what? That did seem a little off or these returns were a little off.
1: So what's funny about that is that I walked into their office one day and I noticed that under this glass on his uh, on, a, on a desk, they, had, they were showing these CD rates. And there were like four or five percent where everybody was roughly it was twice the, the Ameri- twice the national amount. Twice. I was like, how are you guys getting that? He's all these CDs that you know we're just you know, pun- funneling money over to this antiguan, yada yada yada. He was telling me all this stuff. I was like, oh, that's great, whatever. Fortunately, I'm too young for CDs, right? I don't I'm 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 more of an investor, so they have me my money actually invested in stocks. So my money was not necessarily in- tied up into the Antiguan CD scandal but mine was actually invested in stocks. But the issue here is this. Once the state administrator comes in, everybody's money's frozen, right? So all my money that was there, it was like, nope, you can't touch it. I'm like, well, all my money's here. Nope, you don't have access to it. So everybody's a victim at that point. But right. uh, yeah, I noticed, I noticed that, but I didn't know anything much about it because my 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 intelligence about around finance at the time was, you know, I was a novice. So yeah, there you have it.
0: So the question, you know, remains is that, you have to be 18 year old to smoke, you have Mm -hmm. to be 21 year old to drink, right? What's the appropriate age to start finances, because it seems that finance is actually the backbone of life. Yet there is no kind of checks and balances that we're taught throughout life, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone knows the two most certain things in life, death and taxes, but we're not trained on taxes, we're trained to earn, we are trained maybe to save and spend. Those are the only three ways we've learned to um, use money. So how do we close this gap? How do we prepare people like yourself, who may be young, like you said, that baseball is a young man sport? How do we protect mm-hmm. these athletes who are getting these NIL deals at half a million dollars, a quarter million dollars now, uh, for their name, image, and likeness? For those who uh, love acronyms, how do we protect these
1: individuals? Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I was talking to a guy, or there was on my Facebook feed today about a guy who signed a, a possible NIL deal for four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Now he got a, he was a second round pick for the Bears. And now all of a sudden <laughs> in his contract, it said, this NIL company or this company, I'm not going to name any names, of course, but this company is, is has the ability to go in and grab 15% of all of his future earnings pre-tax. Wow. And he was like, what is this? So he's trying to sue them for that language in the contract because he didn't know. So that's the kind of stuff that, to be honest with you, we need real people capitalism in itself left unregulated is an issue because there's always going to be people that take advantage of the system and that's what you're seeing right now people taking advantage of other people's ignorance and i'm not using ignorance in a a negative connotation there but ignorance in in regards to like hey i'm ignorant to doing a heart surgery because i just i I wouldn't know where to start right not knowing
0: right
1: exactly so like if everybody was good capitalism, all the isms out there would most likely work, right? All those isms may would work, but since there's no, everybody's not good. All the isms don't work because there's always going to be someone working against it. So that's what we're dealing with right now. We have to have genuine uh, people with integrity. That stuff goes away. But since there's people out there trying to trying to take advantage of people, I don't know what you can do. I really don't know. It's a good question.
0: Jesus encouraged us to pay a fair wage, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> pay our taxes. All these biblical principles really relate to doing the right thing financially by the people. A lot of people don't understand that in biblical times, 95% of the people, 96% of the people were illiterate. They couldn't okay. read or write. So they were the disenfranchised. And now, even though we have access to more information and the new uh, illiteracy is the inability to what? To learn. To learn unlearn and relearn right and we don't have that capability yet so it's really upon us to kind of have this uh jesus perspective when we're dealing with people in finance and says hey listen i know you're young you're getting a half a million dollars let's read this contract together (laughs) i can can take 15 percent going forward or we could try to figure out something but i need to be compensated for me working with you getting this deal put together talking to people that you're unable to talk to i want to get compensated too Let's Mm -hmm. figure out some language that actually works together. Do you have another advisor or do you have a personal advisor? Things of that nature. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we're far away from that
1: (laughs) at this point.
0: What would you do to encourage a young man to find people that he trusts? Like who can he trust in these types of situations? Because obviously they may come from a background where they don't have a proper representation. They don't see a Kevin Thompson walking down the street. They don't see him at the local community center. You know, how do we, um, help those people develop support systems like you?
1: It starts in your home, then it goes into your community. And then from the community there, the community can push you the right direction. I mean, we've all been faced with, like, for example, I've had had friends in my own community where, you know, like, for example, the shirt I have on, like my guy, he, he designed it for me, which is great. But I had a guy previously before him that I, I can no longer work with because of our his history with delivery, right? So, it's it's all about us trusting one another and not distrusting each other once one of us fails. And you know how that works in this business, especially in our community. One of us does something, you know, that that may be ill-advised, and then we're like, oh, you know what? I'm going over here versus other communities out there. One of their individuals doesn't do something. They're, they stick with their own community. So if that's something that we can possibly progress towards in regards to financial uh, situations, getting with people that that can that can get you in the right situation and not take advantage of you and have some integrity, I think that's that's a start. So I guess what I can say: family, community, and then we can branch out from there. That's 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 what I would say.
0: Yeah, I love that that comment because I think it's. Most communities, the dollar doesn't leave that community after about three or four touches. I think yeah. the African-American community is less than one. Yeah, As soon as yep. they get it, it's out the community yep. and things of that nature. And I, I think it's very healthy for a community to keep the dollar within uh, for at least a certain amount of period of time, right? And once you said about trust, and I'm going to move this trust over a little bit because you did a post the other day, which I really loved about trust and financial advisors and why people don't trust financial advisors. And you gave three really great points. Can we kind of touch on those points about why people don't trust financial advisors and how we overcome um, some of these roadblocks?
1: Absolutely. So, well, well, the number one reason, and this is how I felt, this is what I know from a lot of my clients currently that are coming over from other advisors, like so, when you're with the company, so if you look at the if you look at all the rates, all, all the uh, statistics out there, seventy-two percent of rookie advisors fell out of the business within three years. So what that's basically telling you is that people that that haven't been in the business for that long, or or the people that have been in the business for two or three years, there's a chance there's, there's a seventy-two percent chance that they won't be there. So what's happening is that a person comes in the door, they have their they have their whole financial plan uh, all ready to go. Next thing you know, hey. Kevin was my advisor for, for almost two years. What happened to him? Oh, he's no longer there. Now we're going to go to AB. AB was my advisor for the next two years. What happened to him? Oh, well, you know, he's, he's not, he's no longer here. That doesn't make for a good relationship from a fiduciary standpoint. It's terrible from a this relationship standpoint, from a trust standpoint, it's, it's horrendous. This, bu- this business is all about trust. So that's part one, part two, the products and services that, People have put on people's balance sheets, whether it be certain types of life insurances or what have you. Now again, I'm not against life insurance or anything like that, but there's ways to put these things on people's balance sheets. So they'll get these things four to five years into the plan. Oh, it looks entirely different than the actual illustration that they have in the, had in their face day one. Now what happens? Oh, I want to look at this illustration and let's revisit it. Well, but guess what? We're three years into it and what happened to your advisor? The advisor that sold you this is no longer there. So now you have a new advisor trying to, Help explain exactly what an older advisor did doesn't make for a good situation. And then finally, part three, the the, the financial malfeasance like we just talked about, whether it be some of these banks who were opening up accounts without you even noticing. Oh my gosh, I know you guys are familiar with that. And of course, malfeasance like the Ponzi schemes that we're that was a part of. Uh, it's just it's just the the industry in itself is full of distrust. But our job is to is to bring that trust back. Because, again, working with the CFP advisors like we have here, like uh, like AB up here and all, all of us, it's, it's just it's just we, we are bound by ethics. I'm not saying we're any better or worse or indifferent, but it's just the integrity that's that's in the CFP board uh, is, is, is unmatched.
0: Yeah, I, I love the comment that you're making, because, I mean, that's why we have this podcast. Financial advisors say the darnest things, because when we talk about relationships. If I have a young man who's' twenty five coming in, you know, maybe he's just about to get into his his rookie season or whatever it is, fresh out of college, you can speak his language a lot better than I can right yeah. you know the industry you know the agents you know the business you're going to be able to relate and speak his language and that's why we bring on you know professionals like you who have the financial background but also have the language and i think the language is what we're missing because what happens is individual says hey i need to go invest they run down to their local bank and that's what happens they run into this financial advisor that maybe is trying to get his feet wet maybe first six months or something like that then he's gone because once the business rings him dry because Mm -hmm. they he calls all his contacts his mama his sister his brother get them all on insurance then kick him out then they pull you into the office and the cycle just kind of uh, revolves around itself and these fat cats are just coming in sweeping up all the business and and getting rich and saying i've been here for 20 years and he hasn't learned anything cuz he doesn't have to because he's getting rewarded for just sitting on his tail so he's holding yep. old information he's not keeping up with the secure act 2.0 or any yep. of that business because he sells you a policy or he sells you a product he gets paid and he goes into his mansion or his boat now i'm trying to get off that for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> hey i see i see you stepping up
1: right there. i see you getting out here <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you know your passion is coming into being yeah, because love it. I lo- you know I love your it. your your love for humanity is is contagious and i think people on this podcast are going to hear that and says, this man is actually coming from a strong place. But as I said before, this podcast is for the listener, just like you to say, how can we find someone who speaks our language that we can trust, who's going to be around and understands and can find those nuances? Because I wouldn't even think to look at that language about the 15% going forward into, into the extra years, right? We may just focus on specific numbers. And you do that. And I think that's wonderful. So let's move on a little bit to the disparities in African-American financial literacy. We touched on a little bit earlier, but obviously it's a serious problem with the concept. Mm -hmm. The National Urban League actually wrote an article that addresses our education level. And I'm going to read something here for us for context. Um, The PFIN index, which is the personal finance index, it measures eight key areas. A personal finance knowledge earnings consuming saving investing borrowing and managing debt ensuring and, and comprehending risk and uncertainty um but according to the report african american adults answered 38 percent of the pfan index questions correctly compared to 55 percent of white adults african americans scored highest in the areas of borrowing and debt management but scored lowest on questions relating to insuring African-American scores comparatively low on questions related to comprehending risk, investing, and identifying go-to information. So what do you think about these statistics? And do you think this explains why there is such a large wealth gap? I mean, are there just elements of the financial industry that we just don't get exposed to? And so I know that I w- question is leading people. No, I'm sorry no, <laughs> for no, all no, my no. skepticism.
1: <laughs> no, no. So I would say I'm going to start with a quote. Power is never good unless the one who has it is good. Dr. King, it's not equality that's the issue. And Tyrone Brooks, by the way. It's not equality that's the issue. It's equity. Equity is the issue. And he said it so he said it so plainly. He said, it's not about getting into the concert. It's about I have the ability to get a front row seat at the concert, having equity. So tell me how often you go to a, a Black neighborhood and you'll see check cash in place, liquor store, uh, just Gun the same store. stuff over and over and over again. Gun so store, what you, Chinese store. Yeah, China, yeah, yeah. And then maybe <laughs> hair and wig place, right? That's so it. what do you expect? What are you expecting when you don't give an opportunity to people to have access to Black banks or have access to just banks in their community? You're giving them access to high risk, high loan uh, 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 institutions inside their community where they're gonna charge them 20, 30, 40, maybe even 100% just to get access to their money because they need it today. Right. So, what is the expectation of change there? And why is that even, a, why is that even, even available? You know, and it's, it's those types of things. When I think about it, it's like, it's interesting. It interests me because it's 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 just like, like, like boys, in, like serious, like furious style said, liquor store, gun store, liquor store, gun store inside of at boys in the hood. This right. is what you see in our communities, but.
0: So is there I really. So I is there? but is there really an expectation for change? Right. And I don't think that's, I don't think there is. I mean, personally, mm-hmm. I don't think there is an expectation to change. I think they are strategically placed there to keep you. Um, isolated in these Mm. ghettos and these places. We've seen the history uh, of America. Now I'm not trying to bash America, not at all, but we have to be very honest about our history that those ghettos were experiments. So we understood that when you put a group of people in a limited space with limited resources, they will turn on each other. It started Mm -hmm. with rats and then it turned over into people. But Mm -hmm. the thing is, we have access to that research that we can see like, okay, this is set up for us to lose. This mm-hmm. can't be what we believe in. And unfortunately, yeah. that's where our faith lies. So instead of our faith being in America and the United States, we claim blocks. This mm-hmm. is my street. This is where I'm yeah. from. This is my city. <laughs> this is, no, that, no, it's not. Let's, let's yeah. break that ideology and says, how do we expand this outside of this limited space? Because it's, it's this small town mentality that this is all it is. That's going to destroy us from the inside out because it's programmed percent. that way. Um, but we do need people like you to come in and break that. Now um, I'm going to ask this next question in the context of Plato's allegory of the cave. Uh, okay, if, if you're familiar with allegory of the cave, it's, It's a man who's linked up and chained up with other people they're facing. they are seeing the shadows on the wall and they think that's reality. One Mm -hmm. gets free and he realizes that there's real people. There's there's real things outside that are making these images and that what he grew up and saw are nothing but the shadows of reality. So the same Mm -hmm. thing with finance, what we grow up in as far as the debt, the cash uh, checking places with high interest rates. That's not reality. Those are the shadows of what reality really is. Mm -hmm. Um, So. How do we go back and how do we teach these individuals without risking our lives like the the allegory of the cave?
1: I think it starts in elementary school. We got to start with with the young pups, right? I mean, we're teaching these kids uh, math, science, and and history. And again, I don't know what history they're teaching these days. (laughs) But uh, at the end of the day, like we got to start teaching the pure basics. I mean, uh, just, just what dollars mean, what all this stuff represents, because the reality is this the 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 number one functionality of our society is the dollar plain and simple so why don't we start there why don't we start with what this actually represents how it works how can it function how can you use this what does it mean to to make change right now it's a it's it should be a sin for me to go into a business and if their computers aren't working no one knows what to do right oh well here's a 20 uh, I gave you it's 1875. Here's a twenty. Oh, I don't, I don't, uh, what is that? You know, right. most people, don't, most places don't even take cash anymore, which you is know? crazy. So, at, at a point certain, we and have we have to determine
0: percent, and they're charging you four percent to use your car.
1: <laughs> that that's a whole other ball game. That's a whole, that's a whole other podcast. Hey, I, get, hey. ooh, I guess we are hot, yeah. But we all know who runs that. We all know who runs this thing, right? Yeah, the J.P. Do. Morgans and all those guys. They run. They want and these their VPs. That's
0: now the VP of visa for some weird reason how that happens
1: don't don't get me started i mean i mean hey we could talk about uh we could talk about svb uh, silicon valley bank uh, for some reason they had some uh some what was it a it wasn't a bear Stearns guy or some guy one of those guys from one of those companies that that failed that was mm. absolutely it was absolutely it's crazy they, they, we call it we call it failing upwards yeah upward, failing upwards. right
0: <laughs> they can fail upwards we always fall down
1: exactly exactly <laughs> but yeah it starts it starts with the young pups it starts with us math science the things and 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 teaching them how, how money works yes and then teaching them about debt teaching them about savings it it starts there and then and then it'll continue to progress through through high school uh, middle school then high school that's where you have to start
0: yeah i really like that and, and shout out to matt garner he was actually on our show a little bit earlier he's the author of three money bears um i think he has an online uh game as well where he teaches kids, he says, as young as seven and eight years old, they start developing the concept of money, you know, how to say that money actually buys them candy or an exchange. But once again, we're only teaching them how to earn it and, and, and maybe spend it. Um, he mm-hmm. says he goes into the elementary school. He raised up a hundred dollar bills. Says, if I give you this hundred dollar bill, what would you do with it? Some people said they would, you know, they would spend it on a game or, or, or candy or they would give it um, to a family member or shared or things of that nature but he says there's so much more that you can do with it, right? You can earn it, you could save it, you could spend it, you can mm-hmm. invest it, or you can share it or you can tithe or give it to your church or you know mm-hmm. things of that nature for charity. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to expound on what you could do because what Einstein said that compound interest should be the the eighth wonder of the world. But how many kids know about compound interest where you could put your money to the side and your interest starts making interest? You know, your yeah. money makes money. But we fall victim to these ideologies we see on the internet oh, i made $50 million in six months, right? These anchoring numbers are, are distorting our idea about finances. So, so how do you feel about the financial industry? How do you feel about literacy coming to the internet, but not necessarily the right information that we need?
1: I am disappointed because you and I are held to a different standard, right? So when it comes to our standard and in, in the information we produce, we are held liable, for the information that we produce. And then you go on the Instagram and all these different feeds and there's people that espouse all these different things that make no sense. I was on Instagram a couple of days ago and, and I was trying to wrap my, wrap my head around this. A lady was talking about borrowing from her credit card and using that to pay off her mortgage. So her mortgage comes down instead of paying for it for for 20 years, she's paying it for 10, whatever. She's paying it on principle. He said, and you can do it this way. This is how you do it. And people were like, Oh, that sounds so great. I was like, what in the world where's this coming from? And she was talking about all different ways you could do it and all this stuff. But then at the end, she says, I'm not a financial professional. I said, you're absolutely not a financial professional. <laughs> so <laughs> So those are the types of things that I'm like. I just wish there needs to be some significant change. And I know CFP is trying to do, uh, trying to come with some uh, regulation around that in regards to the fiduciary standard, in regards to what who can call themselves financial advisors and things like that. So I think I hope it happens. But right now, everybody is a financial advisor. Whether you're working in a bank, selling insurance, you can call your or, or selling auto policy, you call yourself a financial advisor. So it's just very strange to me.
0: You know, it's very scary that this information is actually out there because there are some people who are naive or maybe even hungry for um, information that is going to use that and try to uh, pay off their mortgage with a cash advance from their credit card, um, not knowing that the rates are even more <laughs> the <clears throat> rates are higher uh, than just on your credit card, and and it doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. Let's talk about these get rich quick schemes, and I don't want necessarily this episode to be. Negative, but no, I, negative. I, I want,
1: I'm trying to be the positivity. <laughs> i will bring the positivity to you. No, you no, no,
0: no, no. What I mean by <laughs> that is that I am a firm believer in working on our weaknesses, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also a firm believer in let's start talking about those solutions. Right, Mm -hmm. So we've identified the disparities in the African-American community. We've talked about their environment and how that affects their finances. We talked about the systematic racism um, in the financial industry that is keeping us away from those financial products, and then also the misguidance that we are receiving from those who should be serving in a fiduciary capacity. So Mm -hmm. if anybody is Is lost at this moment. Yes, we've discussed these very deep topics, right? Um, It sounds fun because me and Kevin talk about this all day long. But if you Mm -hmm. really go back and listen to our conversation, you're going to be like, wow, they were talking about some deep stuff that we really need to know. So let's start focusing on some of the solutions that maybe we can put our heads together and figure out as a listener what can we do to prevent this? Because that's why they're listening. They're like, Hey, I want to be like Kevin. You know, I want to be like AB like how do they get to that level of understanding? Like you did.
1: Well, the, my, my understanding is, is interest rates, how to use interest rates in your, in your, in your benefit. Like for example, like I may have a life insurance policy that has some cash value in it. And then do I want to use that cash value to, to buy, something when I need to like a vehicle or something like that, I could. well, then let's look at the interest rates inside of my policy. Well, if if they're not uh, impactful or I they're, they're, they're charging me seven percent, what else can I do? Well, maybe I can go use my my policy as collateral through another bank and they can give me a, a better rate. it's It's about using interest rates, borrowing cost and and understanding how that works. Right now, I would never pay off my home because I have a 3% interest rate on a 30 year mortgage. And you know why? Well, because now you have all this additional cash getting you 5% in money markets and savings and all the other treasuries and stuff like that. So why would I pay, why would I be in such a hurry to pay off my house right now at 3% when my money and everything else is getting me five? It's the interest rate differential that you're receiving on those dollars that makes a difference. So that's that's a real important thing to understand in regards to how money works. Uh, what do you think about that, A.B.? I,
0: I think that's very good. And I think also you want to take in consideration time horizon. So yeah. you don't want to get into a short-term uh, investment when you're comparing long-term products. So you're comparing a 30-year mortgage. You don't want to get in the stock market and start buying and selling and trading every three or four months. It just defeats the purpose, all the... Um, transaction costs, things of that nature will eat at the interest that you're supposed to have. So if you have a long-term strategy around a long-term product, you want to make sure that you replicate that on the other side as well. Now, if you have a short-term strategy as far as CDs or high interest rate savings accounts, then that that strategy, you could do that. I think that's a perfect strategy there. Um, One thing I do want to add, which I really liked what you said, and and hopefully I can elaborate this on a little bit because that was like my comment, is start where you are. I think a lot of people have financial tools and resources that they can better understand in their hands now, as opposed to going into a field you have no idea about, right? So you said that you're interested in stocks, options, things of that nature, but people have mortgages. You Mm -hmm. can start with your mortgage, read your contract, figure out your interest rate, figure out how much you're paying, figure out how much you can pay down on your principal if you make an additional payment, because if you make one additional payment um, every year, then that can reduce the amount of years that you pay in interest. And and just that one simple act of paying down your principal can save you thousands and thousands of dollars on the back end. Um, Also, you have auto loans, you have insurance, so you don't have to go outside of your area of expertise. You can start exactly where you are and build your foundation there. Now, once you've mastered your lifestyle, then we talk about how do we multiply it? So one of my things is, is about pushing your purchasing power into the future. And I'm, I'm a big component of that. You, you take your top three things that you're willing to pay top dollar for, and then you pay, you pay the bare minimum for everything else. You know, if, if you love shoes, go ahead. Buy your Louis Vuitton, buy your Gucci shoes, but don't buy an expensive shirt. <laughs> you know, buy the bare minimum, whatever that you need, so you can still live the life that you want, but also not um, go dead broke. So, what's another solution that we can have uh, for people if they take your advice now, they can actually change their financial trajectory.
1: We can keep it very simple: living beneath your means, saving fifteen to twenty percent of your gross income, um, and 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 doing just just dollar cost averaging, what we call just just uh, systematic investing uh, on a on a monthly, daily, or weekly basis. That's those are the simple things that most people can do. Now, people are saying, "Well, I can't save 15, 20 percent." Well, save two, save three, save five, save whatever you possibly can, whether it be in an, an emergency fund or a 401k or what have you, it's all going to be combined together from a savings perspective, but just start saving little by little by little. And it will ultimately, like my, like my man, be just said, like Einstein says, compounding interest will be a, will be a winner uh, when all, when it's all said and done.
0: That's big. I, I, I love that. And I'm, I'm I'm picking piggybacking off. Yeah. <laughs> For those who are listening, I love what Kevin is talking about because he is really giving you a lot of information um, in such big chunks. So like dollar mm-hmm. cost averaging is really huge, like he said, systematic uh, investing. But one thing I loved about what Kevin is talking about is that he is simplifying what financial planning really is. And this is the same thing with religion, right? We overcomplicate what salvation is. Oh, you have to do this. You have to say this prayer. You have to get baptized. You have to say this three times a day. You have to fast. You have to do this. It's not that complicated, right? Because in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, when the scribe goes up to Jesus and says, hey, what are the greatest commandments of all? And he says, he quotes Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and then the guy says, "That's it." He's like, "Hey, you're you're close to the kingdom of heaven. Just yeah. those two ideas." So we don't have to learn about options and cover calls and and how to, you know transfer this money and and how to uh, take your credit card and and get a cash event. You don't need to be that complicated. Those are the nuances. Once you've already mastered loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself, once you've already mastered interest rates, and taking care of your current bills. Now, as Kevin pointed out, if you are struggling, which some people are, I can't save 15%. Well, guess what? 15% of a dollar is what? 15 cents. So if you have one extra dollar, you save 15 cents. So everyone can do a percentage. Everyone can't do a dollar amount. And I think that's where my tip comes in. Stop setting yourself up for failure. I'm going to save $500 of my income. Don't do that. Let's say mm-hmm. percentage wise, I'm going to say 15% of everything over that I need to, to survive on. That's mm-hmm. 15 cents. Sometimes it may only be 5 cents, 2 cents, but you can do that and you can build upon the good and you consistently do it month after month, after month, after month. You know, I tell people one last thing and I'm going to get this back to you, Kevin, and tell you actually what you think. When you talk about finances, you have to understand infancy to maturity. When you first start, you are an infant. You can barely walk. You can barely take care of yourself. But soon you learn you take your first step. You may stumble. You may fall. You may mess up your interest rates. You may take out money too soon. But guess what? You start walking on your own. You start jogging. You start running. You start getting into marathons. And then you mature into an adult where you're taking care of your finances. You can pass on your wealth. You can educate other people. And you're teaching your children how -hmm. to walk. Right, like a good a good man takes uh, a good man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But, but before we teach, we have to master, and that's where we're missing out in our community. We want to teach before we master. We want to pass on information because it gives us the ego boost. Because if I repeat what if you repeat what Kevin says today, and your friends go, "That's great," you have an ego boost, but you haven't mastered it yet. You're still in your infancy. So my encouragement is to go pursue Kevin get more information so you can master your finances and then we can move forward.
1: I want you guys, everybody to be in a situation where they have a trustful relationship with a financial advisor or a trust-filled relationship with a person that's helping them quarterback their entire situation, whether it be estate planning, what have you. Everyone deserves that. Everyone deserves at least that because if that makes you sleep, that makes you sleep better at night, that makes you healthier. And of course it, it, it your, your life is that much better. And I, I just hope everybody gets that, get that feeling uh, that that we have in regards to our kind of financial situation.
0: Amen. And before we wrap up, cause we're coming to the conclusion of our show, Kevin, can you please explain your firm, what you do and how you serve um, your clientele?
1: Absolutely. So Nine I capital group is a, it's an RIA registered investment advisory firm here in Texas. Uh, we are a comprehensive financial planning firm. We do offer services such as investment management as well. Also we do estate planning like we can break it down. but but at the end of the day we do, we're a comprehensive financial planning firm. Uh, we have a, we, we can work on a subscription basis as well if, if you want to just come in and have access to us on a monthly basis. We, we, we do We do uh, a lot of research and, and, and analysis uh, on the, on the investment side. but the idea is this. We are here to build trust-filled relationships as certified financial planners. Uh, we have three other individuals here working as well, three other advisors. And we love what we do for the community. We love what we do for, for people that are, that are married, uh, that are making probably $150,000, $200,000 worth of joint income. That's where we kind of fit in well, well there. But even if you don't fit in that world, we would love to have a conversation with you just to make sure that, hey, maybe on a pro bono basis, uh, we, we, we would love to kind of just get you on, get you going in the right direction. It's all about teaching a person how to fish, not providing them the fish.
0: And if they want to schedule a consultation with you, where do they go?
1: You can go to the website, www.9icapitalgroup.com. Uh, you can push that button, let's talk. You can go in there, push that button, and you can schedule a, a 20-minute session and uh, yeah, uh, with me or, or Lindsay, which is another advisor of ours, or Brendan, which is another advisor of ours, we'd love to have a conversation with you. No problem.
0: Well, Kevin, we come up to the end of the show. I am just blessed to have you on today. Um, as I told everyone from the very beginning, you have a passion for what you do. Um, you are authentic. You are who you say you are. Um, That is rare in our industry. Uh, What I saw on your LinkedIn and your YouTube is exactly who you are on this microphone. Your mission is the same. You are consistent. And I am just, I am in awe uh, of who you are and the space that you are filling up in our financial industry. And it makes me feel confident that our industry is going in the right direction um, because each one teach one. And then also representation. Um, I remember when Jesus is ascending into heavens, he's like, Hey, I've done great works, but those who come behind me are going to do greater works. And I can just see all the impact you're going to make in this industry and those who come after you. And then maybe one day when you're sitting in your rocking chair, you're looking at the industry and you're like, you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy with the outcome that we have. We still may have some work to do, but I'm happy that I moved that needle in the right direction.
1: Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I want to leave you with this. a um, so Dr. King, because I, I, read, I read Dr. King's book, um, uh, Where Do We Go From Here? It was written by Coretta Scott King. And one of the things that was stood out to me was when he said, focusing on the ultimate goal and discovering it is still distant, they declare that no progress has been made. This mm-hmm. mood illustrates another fact that has been misinterpreted. Final victory is an accumulation of short term encounters to, d- to dismiss a success because it doesn't usher in a complete order of justice is a failure to com- comprehend the process of achieving full victory. So hey, let's man. just really focus on those words and say, you know what, just because something hasn't worked out 100% right away, it will work out just, just like that 10 or 15% we want to save month over month over month or year over year over year. It, it matters. The small victories matter.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it from us. I had a wonderful time with Kevin, and I hope you did as well. I want you all to go check out his book, MLB to CFP. I feel truly blessed to have him on the show, and I'm sure we're going to keep in contact and continue to spread his message to the world because it is one thing that needs to be heard. If you got this far, let me tell you, and was like, you know what? I like Kevin. He really speaks my language. Then I want you to reach out. I want you to schedule a consultation with him today. Don't wait. Our show is about highlighting those in the industry that are doing the right things. And Kevin is one of those advisors To stay connected with us. Be sure to join our mailing list to receive future guest updates, link to discount codes and free resources to help you manage your money responsibly. Once again, links will be in the description below. Well, that is it for me. I am AB Ridgway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. I hope that you've been blessed as always. This episode was created by AB Ridgeway owner of AB Ridgeway wealth management a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should have God in it. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. New episodes are available every Friday, so be sure to subscribe. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Or simply visit our website and join our family. I am AB Ridgway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah Warren Ridgway is an investment advisor, representative, and owner of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management LLC, a registered investment advisor, which produces a podcast show and makes it available on his website and through other distribution channels. Elijah Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion, are not necessarily the views and opinions of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as solicitation, or offer, or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the Darnest Thing podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.